Listen, mister, I'm, I'm getting awful tired of your... I'm getting tired of your gas. Now jerk that pistol and go to work. I said throw down, boy. You gonna do something or just stand there and bleed? Famous lawmen and bandits do battle in the Wild West. Special guest Dan Devaney joins us to chat about the best flavor of Pez, prostitutes being inoculated from disease, and the guns you need to enjoy pizza. Then we find out if 1993's Tombstone stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of The Test of Time. I'm your host, as always, James Brief, and joining me, as always, is the guy who puts this all together, who edits it, who really makes it all possible. You could say he's the roadie of this show. I'd like to introduce you once again to Alan Noah. Uh, thank you? I don't know that that's exactly what roadies do, but fine. I will take it. I will take it. And we are joined by a guest today, a very special guest. Dan Deveni is joining us from Ohio. Dan, welcome to the test of time. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. I'm really glad you're here. And I want to just tell the story of how we came to connect. Listeners know at the end of every episode, I ask for listeners to write in and Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or email. And Dan, you emailed us about something I said in our Deep Impact episode, uh, I had made some comment about if there was a national disaster, then Trump would be a national disaster. Uh, <laughs> and you were listening to it later uh, during COVID. We recorded that episode in 2018 before COVID. So then you emailed and were like, hey, you said that would be a disaster and it was a disaster. And then you also mentioned that if we were ever going to do Tombstone or Threesome, we should hit you up. So I did. I hit you up and I said, hey, we should talk about these movies. And then I fucked up. (laughs) I fucked up because I invited you on to discuss one of these movies. And in my emails, I never actually specified which one. In my head, it was crystal clear that we were going to do threesome because I figured that we would do Tombstone and then we would do Wyatt Earp and that would be like a separate thing. But I didn't convey that information to you, Dan. And we sat down to record and James and I were all prepped for threesome, and you were prepped for Tombstone. Mm -hmm. Thinking about it, it was kind of like that thing you've seen in a million sitcoms and movies where like two people are talking about two different things, but they keep using pronouns like he or him. And so they're talking about different people and it's a wacky misunderstanding (laughs) and the audience is laughing, but they don't get it. There was one point when I really should have gotten it. When I emailed you about, don't forget, you know, you should watch the movie before we record. And you said, I watched it again Monday night and made some notes. I also listened to it while designing a house today at work. I watch it a few times each month in some form or another. (laughs) 
And that's a pretty big red flag that why would you be talking about the movie Threesome? And honestly, I just was like, okay, this guy loves the movie Threesome. He watches it all the time. Okay, we'll discuss why on the podcast. And to be clear to our listeners, we are going to have you back on the show, Dan. We will talk about Threesome. That'll be fun because I want to unpack that. But... You were more interested in talking about Tombstone, so we had to reschedule, and now you're back to talk about Tombstone, and just one more time, so, so very sorry about that screw-up. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to be here now. I absolutely love your show. Your guys' banter back and forth is just wonderful, and I love to hear it, laugh to it, just enjoy every episode. I've listened to every episode. Oh, thank you so oh, much. thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. And when you first sent that initial email, you did refer to yourself, I think, as like a fellow nerd or something like that. Instantly, you endeared yourself to me. I'm like, okay, this guy gets it. Why would you call yourself a nerd? What's nerdy about you, Dan? I am a nerd, a huge nerd. I collect all sorts of things, G.I. Joe guys, Transformers, nice He-Man figures, and I have in my... Man shed that my wife got for me. I have thousands of Pez on display. Awesome. I would love to see a picture of your Pez collection if, if you don't mind sharing. Sure. Very quickly, what's the best uh, flavor of Pez? My favorite flavor of Pez, probably going to be the strawberry. It's delicious. Exactly. I, I was going to say what's the best flavor of Pez and why is it strawberry, but I, I, I didn't want to be too sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Dan, let me ask you about your relationship with Tombstone because you sent that email. You could have picked any movies in the world that you would want to talk about and you picked Tombstone and Threesome. You watch Tombstone all the time. So what is your relationship with this movie? It came out in December of my senior year right after I graduated high school and I had gone, not knowing much about it, gone and saw it with my best friend and uh, I saw it Two more times after that. Saw it three times in the theater. Okay. And then when it came out for rental, this was back in the day before they had uh, where you could buy a video cassette. I physically bought it from the video store for $105. Wow. And I watched that till it died. <laughs> and then by then it was for sale on video cassette again. And I bought it again. Uh, I've bought it. On Blu-ray, DVD, the collector's editions. Um, my best buddy, Charlie, he got it for me on Laserdisc. Nice. And I, wow. I don't even own a Laserdisc player, so now I have Laserdisc and Betamax. I have it on Betamax. I usually watch it probably once a week still or listen to just the audio file. But yeah, I, I have been a fan since it came out. And just love the movie. It's just great. Epic. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, they, they may have seen this film or they might be mixing it up with uh, a film that came out around the same time. This film was from uh, December 24th, 1993, and it's about Wyatt Earp and his gang. But uh, there was another film released in the summer of 1994 called Simply Wyatt Earp. And that's a different film. We're going to be discussing that one as well. And I'm curious to get your thoughts about that movie, if you like it, hate it? Is it a thing where people who love Tombstone hate Wyatt Earp and, and vice versa? Or is it possible to love them both? Because uh, I've never seen Wyatt Earp. 
Yeah, Wyatt Earp, the movie, Kevin Costner was good. Was not quite my favorite. Obviously, Tombstone is. Okay. But it was good. It was a great Western. Um, okay. About the same time Open Range came out, which was also very good. It was a scrolling opera of a movie. It was, it was just really long <laughs> and really good. But uh, I fell in love with the Western movie. I've watched <laughs> silent Westerns. From way back in the day. Okay. Uh, lots of black and whites. Uh, Clint Eastwood, great actor. Loved watching his movies as well. But because of Tombstone, I came to love westerns and started reading all sorts of history books and going back and forth trying to figure out the true history of what happened at Tombstone and even... Dodge City, and all of those. And so you can speak to sort of the uh, historical accuracy of this movie. Yeah. Okay, great, 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 great. That's good to know, because I am not well-versed in any of this stuff. I did some Wikipedia research today, so, you know, I can pretend to be something of an expert, but I genuinely am not. That's what most people do on the internet, Al. They read a Wikipedia article or watch one YouTube video, and then they talk in comment sections like they're total experts. Right. Um, but uh, this film is, uh, this is about Wyatt Earp, his brothers Morgan and Virgil, and their friend Doc Holliday. And the movie takes place in the late 1800s, and Wyatt and his brothers, they decide to leave their lives as lawmen behind. And they're going to settle down in the town of Tombstone, Arizona. However, they soon become targets of the local cowboy gang. And the Earps, they can't resist their calling of law and order, and soon become the good guys. And they face off against the bad guys at the OK Corral. But that's not the end of the story, as the cowboys seek revenge, injuring Virgil and killing Morgan. Wyatt and Doc Holliday then go on their own mission of revenge, taking down the rest of the ruthless cowboy gang. Right. And so we know, Dan, you contributed to the box office several times in 1993. Was this a big box office hit? Yeah, the movie, uh, it did uh, make $73 million. Yeah, it was a, a modest hit, I'd say. You know, probably made some money. And you certainly made him a couple more bucks on the uh, DVDs and VHS. And around this time, there was a, a revival of the Westerns. Um, yeah. Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven uh, won Best Picture around this time. The first Western I'd known, and I'm not sure you being a Western aficionado, if you consider it one. The only Western movie I had seen as a kid, and I'm guessing it's a same as Al. What would you say, Al? Back to the Future Part 3, of course. Right. Is this a, a Western? Yeah, Back to the Future was a comedy Western. It was funny, it was good, and had enough Western elements to make it a Western for me. Okay. Yeah, and I guess uh, Three Amigos doesn't really count as a Western, though. You know, it's more it takes place in Mexico. It has that gunslinger vibe. We had uh, reviewed uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly uh, right. on this podcast. Uh, Unforgiven, we're definitely going to do at some point. Sure. Yeah, if you guys do Unforgiven, I'd love to come back. Okay, sure. Absolutely. You said you have a big relationship with Westerns. If you could give the audience, you know, not necessarily your favorite one, but if they've never seen a Western, what would you say, uh, here's one that's so good, uh, you know, you think anyone would like it? If they're new to the Western movie genre, um, there's lots of movies that you can start with. Obviously, Tombstone gives you a great 
background of Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, but really more of a generic Western would be Unforgiven. It's just a classic, great movie. Great way to start. I'd agree with you on that, that Unforgiven is probably the first real Western I'd ever seen, and I remember liking it a lot. I don't remember much about the film. All right, so getting into Tombstone, I kind of felt like I was maybe at a disadvantage not knowing about Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and the OK Corral. I had heard of all of those things, but I didn't know who these guys were or what the OK Corral was. So I was immediately kind of just into it. Like, I just wanted to watch the movie to find out who are these people and what their story is and what happened at the OK Corral. And I was surprised by the fact that this movie kind of takes place after Wyatt Earp is retired. Like, we meet him and his famous days of being a famous lawman when he was famous that's behind him and throughout the course of the movie you find out that no no he's got more famous stuff left to do but I was kind of surprised by that like I thought we were going to see him in his heyday you know so yeah Tombstone is quite a bit centered around his life after he retired from Dodge City okay basically he Ended up killing somebody, and he didn't want to keep doing the police life, the sheriff life. And uh, he came to Tombstone, brought his brothers, and they wanted to just retire and get rich and live a happy life without any issues. And that's what they were going for in Tombstone. But Tombstone was a deadly place, and yeah, it doesn't give you a full history of his life growing up out east and moving out west. His family was kind of bouncing around quite a bit, and it's definitely the second half of his life. Interesting. And so when you first saw this movie, you didn't know all about these gunslingers and everything, and, you know, over time you did. Do you feel that having that background knowledge enhances the movie? Having some knowledge going into the movie, I mean, general knowledge of what happened in Tombstone helps, but honestly, you can go into it and just watch a Western movie. You don't really need to know any of the history, but you know, if you do have some knowledge of the history of the OK Corral shootout, it does give you that breakdown of you knowing what's going on in general. Okay. How so? Well, with reading about the history of the OK Corral shootout and Tombstone in general, I, I learned that James and Warren Earp were also there, and they were on the Vendetta ride. And that's why it's other brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently there were uh, six Earps and, uh, and a half-brother as well. Okay. I'm not sure the film needs to be exactly uh, historically accurate, as opposed to being grossly inaccurate. Yeah, I think that's probably more important. It's probably more practical, too. One problem I had with this film, a lot of the people that were, let's call them the bad guys, because they're all kind of 
dirty and there's no obviously there's no plumbing and and they all have mustaches and the same kind of getups i confused a lot of them i, I thought that uh, a lot of them looked uh, very similar and I, I wonder if maybe like six erps uh, maybe a mini series you'd have all of them but six herbs not just physically getting them confused but i don't think you have enough time to really differentiate there's actually a scene in the movie that the director set up that had Two empty spaces in between. It was Wyatt in the middle and then the other two riders on the outside. And there was a space for another horse in between them. And that was his representation that there should have been two more horses there, which was James and Warren on the Vendetta ride. Let's also talk about the guys they cast. Uh, you know, you have uh, Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer and Sam Elliott and Bill Paxton, 93, 94. These guys are top of the game. Um, Val Kilmer is uh, Batman and uh, Kurt Russell's Kurt Russell. Sam Elliott, he is the man with the golden voice. He, he really is. And, and the golden mustache, even though it's completely white. I, I mean, seeing all of these guys in this movie was also very exciting for me like when i started watching like oh he's in it he's in it he's in it like there's just so many people who i really enjoy even people in in smaller roles you have billy bob thornton playing like the town drunk so yeah billy bob thornton was in the beginning of the movie when wyatt earp comes in to kind of take over the pharaoh table and billy bob's in entire first sequence where he's dealing pharaoh he doesn't have a scripted line at all everything he did was ad-libbed wow Uh, like the line you back that queen again you son of a bitch and i'll blow you white right up that wildcat's ass his first scripted line was when wyatt comes walking up and he turns and looks at him and says something on your mind it was the first scripted line and everything which was almost a good Two and a half, three minutes was all improv. You know who else has a, a small role in this film? Uh, Michael Rooker. That guy is great. Um, he's uh, famous today for Yandu in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, he was also uh, Merle in The Walking Dead. This guy's fantastic. And uh, uh, Michael Bean, he's in this uh, film as well. He's uh, Kyle Reese in Terminator, and he's also in The Abyss. Terry O'Quinn, who I love from Lost. Uh, Charlton Heston. So Charlton Heston played Henry Hooker. Great, great role for him. And it was was nice to see him back in a good Western role. I mean, it was small, but he did great. Yes. Powers Booth. I know Powers Booth from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I had an unhealthy obsession with that show. And he was so good. Like, he just chews scenery. And he's an amazing villain. And I loved him in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I think he is just fantastic as Curly Bill. I I love the way he just loves to be bad. Yeah, Powers Booth, great actor. Absolutely amazing in the role of Curly Bill. Every line felt perfect. Nothing felt forced, but he was just a perfect casting. Right. Uh, Dana Wheeler-Nicholson, who, James, you and I just saw in Fletch, she was like the long-suffering wife of Alan, the bad guy in Fletch, and here in this movie, she's the long-suffering wife of uh, Wyatt Earp. I don't really know what else she's done. I hope she doesn't always play the long-suffering wife, 
Um, Dana Delaney, I remember having a crush on her, I think because I saw her in the China Beach commercials. I don't think I ever watched an episode of China Beach, but I just remember thinking like, wow, she's really pretty. I think that's a, this is the first thing I've ever actually seen her in. You know, seeing a, a, a movie like this, I also realized that I don't think I ever appreciated Val Kilmer when he was at his peak. Uh, I mean, he's such a great actor, Val Kilmer. So Val Kilmer has been my man crush forever, ever since I saw Tombstone. I love the actor now. He's got some issues going on, but he was still great in Top Gun Maverick. He, May have only spoken two words, but he was amazing, and I'd be happy to have him as my wingman any day. And, you know, even before Top Gun, he was in Top Secret, which was a hilarious comedy. Oh, yeah. And uh, Real Genius, which was a fabulous movie. And he did comedy great, and he took this dramatic, serious role, and he ran with it. He did just an amazing portrayal of Doc Holliday. Let me ask you a question about Doc Holliday, because I maybe missed it. Did they ever say the word tuberculosis in this movie? They do say it? Several times. They call him a lunger. It's a disease of the, the lungs. In the beginning, they mention that he's moving west to, uh, hope the dry climate can help with his tuberculosis, but... That's pretty much the only time they say TB in the in the movie. That was the one line I heard. Okay, I guess I missed that. I did hear Lunger. I thought that was just maybe like a generic 1800s insult, like calling him a jerk or a loser or a drunk or something. I felt like his disease kind of progressed quickly. Like that first scene where we see him, where he's like confronting the other gambler. I didn't read that, okay, this guy has a deadly illness and then you know very quickly after that i saw that it was there i mean i thought he was profusely sweating the entire film that that's what gave it away to me he looked like he was always like being a tough guy like in the western but he was really struggling to hold that uh, scowl yeah i mean the sweatiness the coughing coughing up blood everything was pretty accurate for you know somebody dying of tuberculosis mm-hmm Mm. And tuberculosis is extremely contagious. And I only know this because of our episode that we did about Moulin Rouge. And like, he's got a girlfriend partner who doesn't get tuberculosis. Is that just like a weird immunity thing where maybe she just was immune and that's how you explain it? Well, he never gave it to his prostitute girlfriend because she was probably inoculated from being around every disease that you could ever think of in that lifestyle. (laughs) Probably has exposure to everything, yeah. Because tuberculosis is famously known as, like, a prison disease. Like, you get tuberculosis, like, everyone in that cement block is going to get it. It is very contagious. And, you know, she just didn't get it. You know, some people don't get COVID and uh, their whole family gets it. Right. Let me ask you about the unretirement of Wyatt Earp, because that felt very sudden to me, Mm. where he spends a lot of the first, I don't know, third half of the movie talking about how he is done. He is retired. He is not a lawman anymore. And then he kind of unretired 
I thought like out of the blue, his brothers did it. And then he like gave another impassioned speech about we are not lawmen. We are businessmen. We're making money. And then six cowboys go by and he's like, well, better get me a badge. And I was like, oh, okay. I I was kind of expecting there to be more of a motivation for him to make that turn. And honestly, what I was thinking it was going to be was that the bad guys, the cowboys, were going to attack the women, the wives. And that didn't happen. And I was like, okay, you know what? Good. Because that's a trope. Just having the wives there to be attacked. That's stupid. And I'm glad that they didn't do that. But then they do do that later. Is that like a uh, historically accurate thing that the cowboys went after the Earp's wives? On the night that Virgil is ambushed and shot in the side, yeah, the Earp wives were attacked. I mean, that's historically accurate. Somebody came and busted in the room and actually shot. Nobody was hurt, but just shot into the room and ambushed them as well. Interesting. Okay. From my little bit of Wikipedia research, I saw that the night when Virgil is attacked and injured in the movie, it takes place on the same night that um, Morgan is is murdered. But then in real life, that happened like in weeks apart or months apart or something like that. It was literally two, three months later. I don't remember exactly how far, but they were not on the same night. Okay. And I get for dramatic purposes and saving time, the director has to make some changes and make some adjustments. And yeah, it works. This is not uh, the perfect biography. And if you turn in your biography to your uh, school teacher based on this film, you might catch some uh, some problems. But you know, this is the thing that happens with these things. Like in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, it was a big thing people talked about. He didn't know he had HIV before the Live Aid concerts. That's inaccurate. But, you know, the film wanted to end with this concert. So they make a little change, you know, for dramatic purposes. And I think in these kind of films, yeah, if, you, if you're writing a book about Wyatt Earp. No, you can't make these things up. If you're uh, portraying it and adapting it to Hollywood, I I think these kind of things don't bother me. You know, it's funny. I've been thinking about that. And I think for me personally, if I know the story and then watch a movie and they get something wrong, then it annoys me. If I don't know the story and then watch the movie and they get something wrong, I don't care. Whatever. It's fine. And like, That makes me a hypocrite. And like, how can any screenwriter write a script that's going to please everybody? Of course they can't. You know, some people are going to know the stories and some people aren't. For me, with Tombstone, I didn't know any of this stuff. So I was just along for the ride. And something like the brothers were shot on different nights. Okay, cool. That makes sense. You'd, You'd put them together in one night for a movie. I get it. But... Let's talk about the OK Corral, because that is a thing that is famous. That is a well-known shootout. And the thing that really kind of struck me about it was what leads to it. Like, almost even more than the actual shootout, the thing that starts the shootout is that the Earps have made a rule that you can't bring your guns to town. You can have guns, have as many guns as you want, have all the guns, but you can't bring them to town. Like Johnny Cash, don't bring your guns to town. But for the people in this town, 
That is a huge infringement. How dare you tell me I can't bring my guns to town? And it does make me think of modern life here in America, where if you say, hey, have all the guns you want, just maybe, you know, don't bring an automatic rifle to Pizza Hut. People say, how dare you? I can't have my pizza without 14 automatic rifles. What are you talking about? This is ridiculous. It kind of feels like very relevant that like this seemingly reasonable request is such a source of controversy. And that's what leads to the shootout when they know the bad guys are there. They know they're up to no good, but that's their pretense for going in is saying, Hey guys, you have guns and you're not supposed to have guns. And that leads to this colossal shootout, an infamous shootout. So yeah, the, the shootout at the okay corral lasted 13 seconds in reality. It was something really short like that. Every bullet that is shot in that is historically accurate as to how many shots are physically shot in that 13 seconds. Every line is historically accurate as to what everybody said. The only thing that wasn't was uh, Doc Holliday's wink. And that's what they tried to make it look like. That's what set it off. And it was just Idiots being idiots, for the most part, the the cowboys did not want to be told they couldn't go through town with their guns. And weren't there medieval towns that you couldn't uh, bring your weapons in, like check them at the castle gates or something? Well, they certainly had in Game of Thrones, so <laughs> I, I assume that was based on stuff. You know, I feel like somebody has tried this before. Like, we'll be a weapon-free town. Let's see how that works. Well, as violent as Tombstone was, and it was an extremely violent town, trying to make it gun-free was good. But you got people that, well, it's my right to carry these guns. I own guns, and I'm, I'm happy to be able to do that. But carrying them out and about, not always the best thing. And us trying to make areas cities, everything, gun-free, it's just not going to work because then you're just going to have the bad guys, the criminals who have the guns. You know, while we're talking about the bad guys and the good guys and the criminals, I wanted to get your take on this, Dan. Do you consider Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday to be heroes or anti-heroes? And I guess like in real life is part of that, but more specifically in, in the movie. Wyatt wasn't a hero. Now, because of everybody on the East Coast wanting to know what was going on in the West Coast, he he became a hero. The people writing about what's going on in the Old West, they, they wrote about the lawmen as heroes. And, you know, they, they made them who they are today. I mean, had that not been happening on the East Coast... I don't think they'd be known as heroes, but they were heroes and they weren't. I mean, Wyatt was arrested for horse rustling several times. I mean, he was definitely not a hero, but he wasn't a bad guy. Okay, because it's kind of a trope in movies where you and me, we're not so different, the bad guy says to the good guy. And it did kind of occur to me watching this movie that 
they're not radically different. I mean, the movie starts with the cowboys going to a Mexican wedding and murdering people openly. They don't care about these people. So, okay, that establishes they are bad, but certainly Wyatt and Doc are morally gray. I think the brothers, I think uh, Morgan and, and Virgil, I think you could definitely say these are good people. They care about doing the right thing. They take up the role of sheriff, marshal, deputy. I, I forget what the exact titles were, but you know they want to protect people and it's just easy to root for them, right? Like you don't have to to think about, are they hero, anti-hero? No, 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 no. We just love them. Also, the fact that they're played by Sam Elliott and Bill Paxton certainly helps because they are just so charming and affable. But um, those two might be the most purely good people in the movie. So Virgil was the oldest brother out of all of them, and he was very much a lawman, uh, always wanted to keep the peace and make sure everybody was safe and happy. And Morgan kind of just went along with what his brothers did. He always wanted to be helpful and everything, but he definitely was just along for the ride for most of it. Right. And I guess we should mention that, like, in this movie, and I guess apparently in the Old West, cowboys kind of meant bad guy. Like, I, I didn't know that, that that was like the name of their gang or whatever. Like, capital C, Cowboys. Yeah, I was totally taken aback by that. Because Cowboys today is almost the good guys. They're saving the day. Exactly. Uh, here, they were clearly the bad ones. Is this the origin of that term, Cowboy? So, yeah, the Cowboys were 100% real. Hmm. Basically, they started in Mexico, and it, it's where the term Cowboy kind of came from. Uh, because they would come up and push head of steer and everything and try and you know, make money up here to go back home and live down there. But they were very much a real gang. Yeah, the the love story in this film, I, I wasn't really sure where it fit into the film necessarily, since this is not a biography of Wyatt Earp from his lawman days uh, before Arizona. This is just mostly focused on the revenge, uh, and the, the, the OK Corral, and then the, the cleaning up the town. So um, well, what do you think of the love story? So with Josephine Martin and... Wyatt, there was a long love story there between them. And, you know, in the movie states that they got together and were together the rest of their lives, which is true. You can't talk about Tombstone without, especially if you're going to go to the end of Wyatt's life, without showing that love that was built there in Tombstone. It's interesting you say that because I kind of felt like Tying back into Wyatt Earp isn't a pure good guy, I really kind of hated Wyatt cheating on his wife. Like, you know, he is married. Maddie is common-law wife. He didn't love her. Oh. She may have loved him. I mean, she was, I'm sure, a call girl. It's Most of the history books say that she was a, a prostitute back then. I mean, it was the trade for women at the time for the most part okay but even still they were together even if they're not married Wyatt should not be cavorting with this other woman 
And I felt like the fact that he was made him less likable. If it's true and that's what happened, fine. But also kind of like we were saying about how it doesn't have to be totally accurate. It's a movie like why have this other woman, Maddie, be there? If you want to have him finding love, like you're saying, Dan, like he does find this, this happiness. I think all of that makes sense. It makes sense narratively. And he did end up with her in real life. Cool. But then just don't have Maddie be there. Just write her out, you know? And then if you read the books and you know, you can wag your finger and say, hey, did you know that he actually had a common law wife at this time and blah, 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 blah. And that can be an interesting, fun fact. But I don't know that they needed to include her in the movie. I just found it weird. And then at the end, when they do get together, there's no mention of her until after they have this big reconnection moment and then there's voiceover that says she had died of an overdose and i was like no 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 you don't put that in voiceover yes i know i'm a pain in the ass about voiceover in general but like that is not something you can put in voiceover after he ends up with the dream girl that is something that could have been brought up in his conversation with doc holiday when doc is on his deathbed he should have said go to this woman now that Maddie has died of an overdose or, or something like that, you know? Yeah, they, they kind of closed it up and said, yep, Maddie died of a drug overdose. Yeah, I, I thought that was really weird. Also, speaking of that last voiceover, they talk about how Wyatt Earp was beloved in Hollywood and actors went to his funeral. The very last line of the movie is Tom Mix wept. And, you know, I only know this because I looked it up on Wikipedia, but that Tom Mix was a, a famous Western actor. I was shocked that that's how they ended the movie. Like, was he a huge deal when this movie came out in, in the 90s? Were people watching this movie in 93 going, Tom Mix wept? Wow. No. <laughs> Tom Mix was was kind of that rugged, tough kind of cowboy. Most of his movies were silent. He did have some afterwards but saying that tom mix wept lets you know that it was a big moment okay and that no nobody knew who tom mix was in 1993 anymore because like i said he was a silent film actor that's just so bizarre to me that that's like literally the last words of the movie and I was looking at it from a 2023 lens of like, well, that doesn't stand the test of time. And I wondered if it did in 93. I guess not. So very strange. Yeah. Wyatt Earp, when he moved to California and he kind of got into the movie scene because they started doing these Westerns and they started going to him to try and get him to be a part of the movie. And he consulted on a lot of it, um, especially historical pieces that were talking about Wyatt, Doc, all of that. He became a true consultant and helped guide them to make the movie and write the movies. Okay. Is it worth it to go see some old uh, Tom Mix Westerns? The old Tom Mix Westerns were so fun for me, but no, I don't think anybody <laughs> really needs to go back and watch them because they are silent films and yeah they're on youtube you can go back and watch them 
it's entertaining to me, but like I said, I'm a Western nerd. Okay, good to know. So I think it was 20s. There was a boxing match literally blocks down the street from my house. I live in Point Place, which is a suburb of Toledo. And Wyatt Earp and Bat Masterson actually came. It was Jack Dempsey and Jess Willard. It was just a great boxing match. In 1919 is what it was. And, uh, you know, they, out of nowhere, built a stadium that held 97,000 people. Oh, really? And, you know, Wyatt and Bat Masterson came as security, watched over the boxing match. And then when the boxing match was over, they actually tore down this big, huge wooden stadium. And most of the wood was used to build homes in the area. Uh, my house being one of them. You know, oh, wow. Erected and has that 100-year-old wood in it now. And it's absolutely gorgeous. But knowing that my house is one of the homes that has that wood from that stadium and it is pretty awesome knowing that, you know, my home has that little teeny tiny connection with Wyatt and Bat Masterson. Wow. Wow. That's like a, a Theseus's uh, ship kind of a situation then. Going back a, a little bit to unnecessary love stories, when Doc is on his deathbed, the second deathbed speech he gives, because he gives one when he's kind of like faking it. But in the second one, he talks about when he was in love. And at first, it's like this really like sentimental thing where he's talking to his friend and they're saying goodbye. And he's like, you know, I was in love once. And you're like, oh, and then he's like, it was to my first cousin. And you're like, oh, um, ew. And then he says, and she was 15. I was like, okay, you know what? I get it. I understand that this sort of thing happened, but maybe we don't need to talk about it. And maybe we don't need to make that like the great love of your life, your 15-year-old first cousin, Doc. Maybe he was from Shelbyville, Al. And that's maybe. what they do in Shelbyville. They marry their cousins. well dan it is very very clear that you love this movie but i am going to ask you the question anyway because i have to dan do you think that tombstone stands the test of time as a period piece it's kind of hard not to stand the test of time tombstone does it's just a masterpiece of its time and even today it's still a masterpiece and that's you know i'm bias towards it because I love it, but it really does span an epic timeline. And it's just a great movie. I'm not surprised. You clearly have a love for this movie. James, what did you think? Do you think that uh, Tombstone stands the test of time? Um, I'm not typically uh, a fan of uh, Westerns. Well, that, that's not fair. Basically, most Westerns I've seen, I've liked. I liked The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I liked Unforgiven. Uh, I liked uh, Back to the Future Part 3. I, I guess, um, you know, I just don't have that much experience with Westerns, but it, it kind of follows, I would say, a little bit of a formula. That's not a bad thing. It's such a superb cast. It's so well done. I didn't think there were any particular problems with the film, except, like I said earlier, and I think this is more on me, I found some of the characters confusing. A lot of these guys looked similar uh like billy zane and the billy bob thornton's characters but billy zane was the only person who looked like he had showered he was easy to tell him apart 
Right, right. And they refer to him as, you know, he was, he was very pretty. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, who am I thinking of? Uh, like Terry O'Quinn um, yeah. and all the random guys that I, you know, aren't big actor names. Yeah. That's my only complaint. But again, that, I think that's on me. I n- enjoyed watching it. And so I'm going to say, yeah, it stands the test of time. Um, one other thing I'm going to say we hadn't mentioned, but you mentioned the opening of the film is when the cowboys shoot out this town. But it actually starts with a voiceover and this fantastic montage of old, old film of the Old West. And apparently some of it is not actual Old West film, but it's like films from like the 1910s and clips from that. I thought that was a very interesting way to to start the film. I agree with you, Al. It did end weirdly uh, with the voiceover that I didn't understand the last line of the film, but kudos to the opening of the film. I thought it was very interesting. Stands the test of time for me. What do you think, Al? Does it stand the test of time? Well, you just mentioned the very beginning of the movie, and I just want to go to the very end of the movie after the voiceover and Tom Mix wept. Then the credits start, and there is just these extended shots of the four main characters walking. You have uh, the three herbs and Doc Holliday, and all I could think about was them shooting that day. Just imagining what it was like Seeing that call sheet when these guys are like, what are we shooting today? Today, we're just going to have you guys walking. Oh, okay. That's it. Yep. All right. So what? This is going to take like, I don't know, five minutes. Nope. Because we need to get the four shot of you guys walking. Then close-ups. Then we're going to need a two shot. Then we're going to need you to look extra angry. Then like, you know, just that you're walking. It's so much walking. It just kind of made me laugh thinking about them walking and walking up and down that damn road for hours just for this like B-roll that plays while they are showing the credits. And that made me laugh. What I was thinking immediately was a reference to a 1992 film. This came out in late 93. I thought this looked very Reservoir Dogs-esque. Well, in Reservoir Dogs, they're walking in slow-mo. And I think even though they're walking in slow-mo, that shot is only five, ten seconds long. Maybe not. I don't know. But, like, it's not that long. In Tombstone, they're not walking in slow motion, but they are walking for a very long time. But to talk about my overall, I guess, main problem with the movie, I need to sort of do it in a roundabout way. So bear with me for a minute. It'll all make sense soon, I promise. But real quickly, have you gentlemen by any chance watched the latest season of Rick and Morty? No, I haven't seen the new Rick and Morty. Was that fifth season? Sixth season. Oh, I haven't seen sixth season, though, so I think I've seen fifth. Okay. The show is always meta. It is a very meta show just by nature. But there is one episode this season where they go full on meta and they like acknowledge that they are characters in a TV show. And the first character that they meet is this guy named Mr. Leon. And he shows you what happened in the past. His his name is Previous. Get it? Previous Leon. Ha 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 ha. Then there's another guy that they meet later on. And his name is Brett. His last name is Khan. And he can change what things are and what they were in the past. So Rick introduces this character and Morty's like, well, that's stupid. Why is his name Brett Khan? His name should be Rhett Khan. You know, Rhett is a name. R-H-E-T-T, right? That would make way more sense. And then Brett hears that and he says, my name is and always has been Rhett Khan. 
That's his power. So why am I bringing that up? Because I kind of felt like Retcon was here with me when I was watching Tombstone. I thought for the entire first 80, 85% of the movie that Curly Bill was the bad guy. He was the main villain. But then at the end, he's kind of like dispatched. It's not really a big deal. And then all of a sudden it's Ringo. Ringo is the main bad guy. And I'm imagining Retcon saying Ringo is and always has been the main nemesis of this movie. And I'm like, but was he? And then with the the love story, like we were talking about this actress, Dana Delaney, she is the love of his life. I'm like, but I thought he had a wife. And then it's like, no, no, she is and always has been his one true love. We talked about Michael Rooker, his character, McMasters. He was with the Cowboys, but then he comes around to the good side. And maybe it's to your point, James, of like, I didn't really distinguish who he was and I kind of got him mixed up with someone else. But like when he had this turn and he became like one of the main good guys, I was like, is he important? Did I always love him? And again, I imagine retcon. Oh, yes, you always loved McMasters. He was the main good guy from the beginning. You just didn't realize it. Like, I don't know, man. I didn't get some of this stuff. So I don't know, Dan, you're making a little bit of a face. Am I overanalyzing it? It doesn't actually retcon, in my opinion. Now, being that Josie was always the love interest, Wyatt didn't really have love. I mean, he... He had Maddie, but he was not in love with Maddie. And so you saw that there was love growing there from that very first ride that they took out into the plane. You know, you see Johnny Ringo when he comes out and he's like, don't any of you have the guts to fight for blood? He came out and he was showing that he was an asshole. Now, he was not in charge at that time, but you kind of saw that he was definitely the bad guy overall. Curly Bill tried to keep the peace, and Johnny Ringo was just not a peacekeeper of anything. Right. I guess I got that, but it just felt like I really missed something. And maybe I did, and I think there is some stuff in here that I I missed, and you've seen this movie so many times. I would imagine that, you know, you see McMasters and you see Ringo at the beginning, and you're like, okay, here it is. This is his origin, and this is that one scene that doesn't seem really important, but really is. I just felt like I was missing stuff. And I think there are so many characters in this movie. It is easy to kind of just mix them up. There's so many people in so many stories. One of the people who I didn't mix up was Ike, one of the the main cowboys. I understood who he was. I didn't get him mixed up with anyone else. They didn't retcon him, but it was really annoying that they kept on letting him go. They let him go like three or four times in the movie when they really shouldn't. They should know let's just kill this guy, right? Like, we're heroes, but we're also a little bit anti-heroes. We're just going to shoot this guy, right? Like, we'll all be much better off. And they didn't. But despite that gripe, I think that this movie is still really well made. It is phenomenally acted. Every single person in this cast does a killer job. And that's a lot, because like I said, there are a lot of characters. And I like the fact that I know 
who Wyatt Earp is. And I know what happened at the OK Corral. And I know all of this stuff now. And I feel like if I watched it again, I would pick up on more of this stuff. And maybe the whole retcon thing wouldn't bother me as much. I don't know that I will watch it again, especially knowing that we're going to be watching Wyatt Earp for next week and we'll get a different perspective on that story, I guess. But I am going to say that the movie does stand the test of time, even though it's not my favorite. It's still just a a really, really well-made film. Okay, so we all agree that Tombstone stands the test of time. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for for reaching out and, and coming on to talk with us about this movie. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed every moment of this. This is a lot of fun. And I want to just ask, I mean, our listeners can't see it, obviously, but you're wearing a baseball hat that says, Dad, does it say something underneath that I just can't read? So it's actually a University of Toledo dad hat. Oh. My son got accepted there, and ah, he got me the hat that says University of Toledo Dad. His name's Alexander, and I tried to get my wife to name him Wyatt, and my wife vetoed me on that, and I really said, well, okay, I'll take the veto, but in the future, if we have another son, can I name him Wyatt? And she said, sure. Well, lo and behold, we had another son and my <laughs> 15-year-old who is 6 foot 2, 300-pound linebacker for his high school St. Francis. He is Wyatt. There you go. All right, well, Dan, thank you again for joining us. We will have you back to talk about threesome, which is one of my guilty, very guilty pleasures and I apologize for making you guys watch it. But- <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. (laughs) Don't apologize now. Come on, it'll be great. It's a movie about a threesome. What could go wrong? I mean, really. But thank you again. A special shout out to your friend, Troy Ridgely, who's uh, letting you use his podcast setup. Troy, thank you. He just stuck a a thumbs up into the frame. Troy, thank you very much for for helping out. And uh, Dan, thank you again. It was great having you. Bye. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. That's going to do it for us this week. Next week, as promised, we are going to discuss Wyatt Earp, another movie about, well, Wyatt Earp. Until then, we want to hear from you guys. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can do what Dan did. You can email us, the Test of Time Podcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Uh, but we will see you next time, everybody. Bye.